Have you ever wondered who's responsible for the songs you hear on the radio? Thousands upon thousands of artists pour their hearts and souls into work that most people will never know even exists. What separates the hits? Every week, I sit down with the songwriters responsible for some of the biggest songs that sweep the world to find out, how did they get there? What was their journey? My name is Gary Young, and this is The Big Break. John Chisholm is a lifetime singer, songwriter, and music producer based in Nashville, Tennessee. John moved to Nashville to pursue his dreams of songwriting at a young age. When he connected with legendary gospel songwriter Bill Gaither, he had the opportunity not only to grow as a writer, but to intimately learn the ins and outs of music publishing. A strong believer in mentors and learning from the people you surround yourself with, John flourished as a producer and to this day helps develop and coach songwriters through his company, Nashville Christian Songwriters. His journey resulted in deep friendships all over the world and a celebrity status he never would have guessed he'd achieve. He's our guest this week on The Big Break, John Chisholm. All right, so so today on the big break, I am delighted to welcome Serm Style to the podcast. Hello, Serm Style, welcome. Um, yeah, I would love to be here, dude. Well, I love talking to you, even though we're in separate parts of the country right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of I mean, technology. I know that is the magic and joy of technology. Now, for everybody out there, so Serm, um you know, is, is famous for, you know, writing Timber by Pitbull, um, Hey Ma by Pitbull, One by One by Trey Songs, and Cry Baby for Demi Lovato. And he's been at this really, um, for a long time, but he, but, you know, we're going to get into it and he's, uh, he's a fun person to talk to. So I think this is going to be, uh, you're going to like it. (laughs) So, sir, man, so tell me, like, I want to go back to the beginning. Okay. Of uh, and when did you realize? How old were you when you realized that you wanted to make a living making music? <laughs> oh, I'm gonna say early twenties, like okay. like nineteen twenty. I was in uh, college in Newcastle, and um, I was making a lot of. I was doing a music production course. Uh, I ended up there because I didn't have good enough GCSEs to do the course I wanted to do. I wanted to do IT. I wanted to be an IT okay. technician or something, do something in computers because I just love computers. I'm a huge nerd. And uh, I, the, you do like GCSEs when you leave high school in England, and my results were terrible. I, I did not do very well at all. <laughs> so, I, oh, man. so I couldn't go to the college courses I wanted, but uh, Newcastle had just opened brand new music academy on the campus, and they had music production courses and things like that. And I was like, you know what? I know how to use uh, Free Loops. I make beats here and there. This is like when I'm 17 or so. So I'm like, I'll just sign up to that. And then, uh, yeah, I stayed there six years, came out with a, a, a bachelor's degree in music business. And I was just staying there as long as I could to use the studios and make music. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, I wanted to make money off music, I guess, from the start, but that's not the case for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so you, so basically, you lucked out by not doing that well on your high school courses. I guess so. so that- <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it played out well for me, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so then, so you before 
like while you're in high school and, and earlier, you're you're making beats. Oh yeah, I, and I, were you? Yeah, what were what else were you doing? I worked with music? every local artist in the Northeast that was doing like pop or urban music, rap, and all that stuff. You know, like literally, I don't at, at the time I don't think there's a single Northeast artist that didn't work with. I, I did like full mixtape projects with these guys too, where it was like twenty track albums produced by me you know just i was just making so much music back then just so many beats and it it was a lot of sample based stuff so i i could knock it up real quick you know i'd dig for samples a lot find something cool sample that put drums to it flip it boom there's one done i was doing so many of them a day and i was just knocking them knocking them out (laughs) (laughs) okay okay now any um so so Newcastle is what like an hour or two south of Edinburgh, so it's yes. in the far north of of England. Yes, yeah. as far north as you can go before you hit Scotland. It's literally the last major city. Um, there's not much up there. There's not really any. Well, I guess times might have changed now. I haven't really been back and been plugged in in a while. But back then, in, in, in the, the late two thousand like nine, two thousand eight, two thousand ten area, there's no A and There was no music labels not many major studios there wasn't anyone doing contemporary pop that i knew of up there like it was a very small world (laughs) yeah yeah and mostly hip-hop and mostly hip-hop but i guess that was mainly off the wave of eminem everyone i came across their inspiration was eminem they wanted to rap so i was like okay let's go we'll make music um, yeah. so yeah, I made music for a bunch of people like that. Yeah, it was, it was a Now, I, did you ever entertain the idea of becoming uh, a recording artist yourself or did Oh God, no, 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 no. I think I made that distinction real early when, before even the beat thing became a, a, a big part of what I was doing, because I remember a lot of friends again <laughs> via Eminem were obsessed with multi-syllable rhyming and putting together rhymes and like the, the creativity behind that and. Um, they were obsessed with writing out rhymes and things like that. And I used to think, yeah, it's really cool. And I'm, I really do appreciate the craft, but I don't see myself ever rapping these things. So I don't really want to put together these verses and figure out all the multi-syllable rhymes and make things sit together real cool and stuff like that. Like I really appreciate it and I love hearing it, but I don't see the point in me making that because I'm never going to say it. I'm never going to spit these bars. I'm never going to rap. <laughs> I'd rather be behind the boards. And plus I'm kind of a shy guy. I don't want to be really be in front of the camera like that. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I like being Makes behind sense. the scenes. Yeah, yeah. You you get you're like I could I could sit in a room and write these, <laughs> yeah. but I'm never gonna say it because it's not part of my identity. Right. You're like I don't want to do this. Okay. <laughs> so so then you graduate right yeah. from is it was it Newcastle University? Yes, or University of Newcastle. Yes, Newcastle University. Um, I graduated in. I'm going to say maybe 2011 or 10. I'm not actually 100% sure. It's all a blur now. It feels like another life. <laughs> Seriously. It honestly feels like another life. <laughs> yeah. It's crazy. So what did you do next? I mean, you, you're, done with, you're done with school. You've got this music degree. So you- I was just trying to figure out. I needed to figure out, okay, I, I, I can't work at nine to five because I need to make, I don't know what it is. I had this urge in me that I just need to make music all day. So I had to figure out many ways to just do that. And then how can I, how can I get beyond Newcastle? How can I get big? Like there's obviously no future in this in Newcastle. So I got to figure out where is the future in this? So I guess I just, the internet, Twitter, I just started hustling really hard online. And this is like early days of Twitter. So 
everyone was a lot more reachable, you know, thing people would actually put an email on there that they would actually check, you know, you could actually tweet someone and then start a DM conversation. You know, there wasn't a lot of noise. It's it got, it got the noise got there real quick. It happened really quickly. But right when I got in, I feel like it was a lot, a lot easier to, to, to see through the crowds, you know? So yeah, I started hustling on Twitter and, and, yeah, it, it started. So, what what did hustling on Twitter mean for you? So, what, what, were, was, you, what were you actually doing on there? I was figuring out which ANRs looked after which artists, or which managers looked after which artists. Um, what and directly looking for artists too. So, I would find these people on Twitter because majority of them would have a Twitter. Everyone wanted to be online then. And a lot of them would have either their email in a bio or they would tweet it out and be like, I'm looking for records, send stuff to this email. And like I say, I feel like I just got lucky with the amount of people that were probably submitting to things like that, that I actually got attention from whoever I was sending to. And then things started to snowball from there. From Via Twitter, I, I built a lot of relationships with um, people that were also shopping records for me out in the States and things like that. So it wasn't just also just trying to get records cut with artists or placed on things. I also had people that were also like actively shopping my music to labels and things like that in person too via Twitter. Oh man. Yeah. So who was the, do you remember the first person that like first big person that got back to you so from it, from twitter it's january 3rd 2010 like just after Whoa, the new year. you remember the date yeah uh young buck i'm on world star hip-hop first of all world star hip-hop back then was like that was reddit that was the front page of the internet for like especially for mm. rap and things like that like you went to world star every day you checked the latest videos all the memes you know what i mean like this is yeah this is like 10 years ago geez um and i see young bucks dissing 50 cent uh, Young Buck was a part of G Unit at the time. They're having a, a, a lot of disputes between themselves. Have disbanded, and Fifty's doing a lot of, well, Fifty loves beef, I guess. It's, so, uh, Yo. Young Buck is dissing Fifty Cent, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, "Damn, I, this is like I know this. What is?" And then suddenly it clicks. I'm like, "Oh shit, this is my beat." And he's dissing Fifty Cent right now. I've been roped into a Fifty Cent beat. beat. Like, oh. what? <laughs> this is crazy. I just start freaking out. I'm like, holy shit, what's going on? And then uh, I go back into my inbox, find the the email I said I had sent book a, a, a folder of beats in here. I really used one of those and started to uh, start to use that for his feud with Fifty. I guess. <laughs> That is, you gave him ammo. Yeah, ammo for his and, battle. And we built a relationship from there. Uh, and I started sending him a lot more records, and he would um, cut the things here and then. This is real early days. He was actually one of the first that was streaming, live streaming. He used this site, Ustream, and he would just live stream his session in the studio whilst he's cutting to the beat. And fans would like log in and watch him, and they're commenting and things like that. that. It was pretty crazy. Like, that's just so normal now. But back then, that was such a big deal. Like, wow, we can see this guy in the studio working right now, live. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. Oh, um, and yeah, that's interesting because that's you, you know, you uh, peel back the curtain. Right. To build the fan base. Yeah. Yeah. And so, on top of that, I was so the, from there, I started working on, um, internet forums as well there was a lot of music production forums where a lot of producers mm -hmm. would come together and we'd be exchanging stuff 
between each other too. Like I might have a link to Young Buck now, so this one guy might send me beats that might work for Buck, and I'm sending him beats that might work for an artist he has a relationship with and things like that. And just building a lot of relationships all online, all via the internet, all via Twitter and forums back then. So, so you're so you're basically on these forums, and and you. Um... You know, maybe in your profile on the forums, you said, oh, I did the these beats for Young Buck. Yeah, exactly. And, then, hmm, and uh, through that, I met – through that, everything else kind of snowballed slowly. So I met this this DJ, DJ Rockstar that ran a, a, another huge online like hip-hop publication website like Hot New Hip-Hop. And he was telling me about, oh, I've got this um, – they, they were putting together mixtapes back then. Mixtapes were a huge deal. You got a DJ involved. They would put together your collection of songs. They'd promote it. It would go out on Hot New Hip Hop, um, World Star Hip Hop, and things like that, you know, and you just flood the internet with it. And he's telling me, hey, there's this guy, Wiz Khalifa, the um, Atlantic Records is interested in signing him. Rick Ross is interested in signing him. He's putting together the mixtape right now. Do you have any beats? Blah, blah, blah. Um, and I send him this one beat still blazing which i sample some like reggae thing and he's like oh this is perfect for wiz and then um that ends up being a wiz khalifa record on the the cushion oj mixtape which was just like a phenomenally received mixtape like it was it literally broke in, in terms of how people use it now it broke the internet like it was like google, number one google trend searching high times reached out to me about it um he did like crazy numbers on the streaming on 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 dat piff which was like the the the, the main site where you hosted mixtapes. That was like Spotify for mixtapes back then. Um, yeah. Yeah. So th- th- that happened through DJ Rockstar. I also, another record, what else happened via Twitter? I had a record with Kendrick Lamar via that. DJ Rockstar also um, put me on to Kid Ink. They actually started Kid Ink, the artist Kid Ink. The, no. Him and his, really? Yeah. Him, DJ Rockstar and DJ Illwill were like, oh, we got this other rap out that we're putting together a project for together he's called rockstar at the time he was and the cat was kid was tatted out and they're like what do you think of the name kid ink i'm like oh wow that's really dope and then uh yeah hit a couple of mixtape records with him and his come up days too um, yeah wow yeah. so so all of this from you know the seed of it was hitting people up on twitter twitter and, and forums their, yeah and forums yeah Wow. Early internet okay. shit. <laughs> yeah, that's some I mean, that is some early internet shit. I love it. What um uh next thing you're gonna tell me is mailing lists to go real old school. <laughs> <laughs> well that was actually the early starts is stuff like that. You would come across these lists of like addresses and phone numbers and things like that, or maybe a couple emails on there maybe, and I was like, Well, what am I gonna do? Calling these phones in america and be like yeah i've got this music for you like, i was like ah, it's not gonna work for me so i guess that's when no. i started just approaching it via twitter and, and stuff like that yeah yeah no now what advice would you give let's imagine for a second you know like the a songwriter out there listening who's um trying to get uh or a producer right trying to get his beat heard and is trying to figure out how to cut through the noise reach out to the people directly what like what advice would you give them? I don't know. It's a different different game now where to have a record released and distributed back then 10 years ago was a lot more difficult. So it was kind of like, yeah, we're chasing the majors. Whereas now people can be so independent that if you and your buddy are making great music, you can put it out on Spotify and get an instant reaction. You don't really need to go the route that I did. 
uh, things are so much more accessible now. So you've got Instagram, social media, and things like that. You can you can really get heard, and you can also build a whole entire career and fan base without ever having to get put on by a major. Do you know what I mean? Things have changed mm-hmm. so much. Not that the majors still play a, obviously a major role in everything too, and it also is worth chasing that too. But it's not the be all end all. Whereas, whereas it felt before ten years ago, trying to be independent was just an uphill battle. It was just not really feasible, you know. Yeah. So, so your advice then would be, um, put it, out put your there. stuff out there. Yeah. Put it on Instagram, put it on Spotify, YouTube, make sure you're doing lots of visual content and just flood it. Just you, you've got nothing to hide. You know, when you're trying to get on, you need anyone and everyone to hear everything you're doing and just get it out there. Don't be afraid of it. Don't be too precious. You just literally got to get it out there. Yeah. Don't be too precious. Now, what do you mean by that? Like you can be a bit of a perfectionist with stuff. I was guilty of that too, where I'm like, man, I don't really want people to hear this. It's not quite where I want it to be or whatever. Or I have such other bigger visions for it, or I'm a little secretive about this sample I flipped or whatever. But in the, in the grand scheme of things, it's better to get it out there because the, the, the reach that it might get to somebody can change the whole thing altogether, you know, like, you just got to okay. get it out there for the opportunities. You're rolling more dice. Every song you put out there is like an extra pair of dice you're rolling for something mm-hmm. greater to happen from the music you've made. So, yeah. So you got to be prolific. Yes. You got to not be a perfectionist. And you got to not be secretive because the default is nobody hears your shit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That does you no good. <laughs> yeah. No. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So So now, so you're bubbling up. You're on you're on Wiz's mixtape that broke the internet. <laughs> then, but you're still in Newcastle at this point. I'm right? still in Newcastle. I'm um, I'm sending music all over the place via email to all these connections I've built via Twitter, um, and the forums. I have a bunch of people who are, are taking records of mine, and they're taking meetings with people out here in LA, New York, and they're playing my stuff. Who I guess their game is they'll try and get land you a placement and they'll take a percentage for, for doing that, like a middleman kind of situation. Okay. Um, nothing exclusive. So they weren't really management. It was just a lot of people hustling their stuff. Um, yeah. Now, how did you find, or how did they find you or you find them? And like Twitter, what? I guess you, you, you start Twitter? seeing okay. other producers retweet someone like looking for beats to shop to Atlantic or whatever, or someone tweets an email from an artist saying this artist is looking for X, Y, and Z for their next project and things, you know, like gotcha. it's just a lot of just basically social media and being, being aware of who's doing what, you know? Um, now, how do you negotiate those deals? So those, these are independent A&R. Basically. Kind of, they're like a middleman. They're not, they're not really, they're not on a salary from any of the majors, but they probably have relationships mm-hmm. with a lot of the ANRs at the majors. So they're they're okay. going online. This is like early in and that where you're suddenly realizing, wow, there's a trove of talent out there. Let me collect all the great music I can off the internet from these kids that are in the north of England, Norway, Sweden, whatever. And now I'm going to go take mm-hmm. this to the ANR I know at Universal and play in these beats and see if he fucks with any of these. And I might place one or two of them and i'll take my 15 20 percent from making that happen and i guess that was the hustle yeah. for people back then because there was like this barrier between uh, you and the majors you know it was a little more difficult to get to get or um in touch with them compared to today i feel like not everyone was a, as reachable um mm. you know like it, it, it was, so to go take a meeting in person was like a big thing 
So you really wanted to get your music to these people who could go take a meeting with a label and play them your stuff. Okay. Yeah, that no it makes sense. You're trying to get in the door. Right. Whereas now you would your advice would be just put it out there. Right. And drive. Yeah. Exactly. That makes sense. So um on top of that, the, the the things started to sprout up from there. So I this place called PMP um, Worldwide, I think it was called. I, I, were you aware of that website at all? No. What, what is PMP Worldwide? It was a website where the labels and A&Rs would submit to them what projects they need records for. And then you would pay a subscription as a producer or as a writer to submit to these um projects um they they found me via an internet form and gave me like a free page on there so i could submit to the projects for free and things and like showcase my beats on there and then this is when i started to uh well this is the first time i see the name mike current he's on there looking for music he started a publishing company and um it shows you his accolades that he's done by atlantic records and stuff like that and i'm Mm -hmm. starting to get familiar with like okay who some some names within the industry and things like that so a long story short nothing really comes of anything on pmp worldwide um uh, and nothing is really happening on the on the internet hustle side of things really other than these mixtape things and i'm just starting to get frustrated with making rap music basically um because i wasn't getting paid for it it would just end up on on a mixtape and it best they would mention that was produced by me by me so i would get recognition for it but most of the time you don't even get that so and you can't eat with recognition exactly (laughs) it might move you a little further along but it wasn't doing enough you know Mm -hmm. so i started to get frustrated with that then a funny thing i remember listening back to um a Katy Perry song, I Kissed a Girl, and uh, thinking, man, this shit is hard as fuck. Like, I want to I want to start making stuff like this. So I look up who produced that. So I, I Kissed a Girl, your reaction is, this is hard as fuck. Yeah, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm it, it, at the time, pop music yeah. was like, hell no, you don't make pop. Pop's yeah. whack. Everyone was anti-pop, you know? Like, oh, that's too, that's too bubblegum or whatever and people were yeah. not fucking with pop and then so i was kind of ignorant to it i was such in a hip-hop world and that's all i cared about that's all i listened to that's all i studied and mm-hmm. then obviously i'm listening back to this Katy perry record and that chorus comes in it's just it was just hard i'm like wow this is really fucking cool who is this i google it see the writers on there benny and such and dr luke uh, and i'm like dr luke who's this guy does he think he's dr dre like that's the only doctor <laughs> i know of i click his name <laughs> and i see wow this guy is just the radio this guy's on the radio every day anytime I'm in a car or at a shop i'm hearing this guy's music i'm like holy shit that's crazy i want to do that like <laughs> fuck making these mixtape beats <laughs> <laughs> i need to figure out how to make pop so I guess I start studying uh, that led to like Max Martin and et cetera and all those legends that were making, mm-hmm. well, that are still making pop. And I start studying all that. And um, when you say study, you listen to it. What else did you do? Reverse engineering. I was, so I started out by reverse engineering. I would listen to Dr. Dre beats and just remake them. I was obsessed with Dr. Dre. That's okay. Scott Storch and Dr. Dre. That's all I was doing. Just remaking their shit. Like okay. <laughs> really obsessed. Yeah. Like a uh, painter who's copying, right. copying and painting. And then with via that process, I'm figuring out, oh, so that's how they got to that. Or, okay. That's what you got to do to make the kick do that. Or that's how you mm. get the bass to feel like this. A lot of trial and error and things. Yeah. And then from there using 
being able to fall back on them things and then being creative on, on in, in your own right, you're able to like push it forward a bit more and have something that's more you rather than just an emulation of something, you know? Mm-hmm. So I started doing that with pop and I was obsessed with pop production for a long time and I was just making a lot of pop, a lot of terrible pop because <laughs> it's terrible. <laughs> everything's terrible at the beginning. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I was obsessed with that and I was just studying, studying, studying. And um, what what are like your who's your Dr. Dre of pop? Is it Dr. Luke or did you find somebody else that was so, your Dr. Dre of pop? Uh, it's a lot of people. Uh, okay. Luke is obviously up there. Benny Blanco, Max Martin, like all the legends. They have such humongous hits behind them that I've studied so much. Yeah. That, yeah. Those are those are the guys, you know, there's a lot. Um, what, I was, what was, what did you find? Like, why do you think you had that mental block that pop was whack and pop I don't know. I think it was culturally, like, it was like a, a general idea that everyone held. Like, you know, like maybe it comes stems from the whole Eminem era where he was just ripping into pop acts and like, you know, you were looking yeah. for some, something more genuine, a little more edgy, angsty. Like that was just the vibe back then, you yeah. know, <laughs> before yeah. we get to the very colorful 20 teens. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It didn't get to Katy Perry. Right. right. <laughs> and Newcastle and Katy Perry don't seem to go that well <laughs> together. Whereas Eminem and Newcastle seem to pair. Right. Yeah. We used to joke that Newcastle is like a Detroit of England because they closed all the coal mines up there in the shipyards and you were just left with call centers and shitty labor jobs. Like there's not oh, really much of a... Man. Yeah, uh, things have changed a lot. Newcastle has progressed so much, and it's been developed and uh, reinvested into it so much. Like it's an incredible city. It's, it's but ten years ago, ten years not ago, so much. which isn't really that long ago, but it, it it really was a different place. The city was just known for pubs and drinking. That was it. People would go there to get <laughs> fucked up. People got to listen to music while they're getting fucked up, though, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so okay. So now yeah. So um. Uh, so now you are. So um, I'm studying pop. I'm making yeah. these pop beats. Um, while still making a bit of rap here and there, but I think my rap's starting to suffer because I'm not okay. getting any mixtape things landed and things are a little slow. And I, I'm I'm mainly just focusing on okay, how can I make good good pop beats? Like this is this yeah. is I feel like there's a there's something to this. Um, so I'm meeting more people online and things. I'm, I meet this guy um, who's in London, and he's like, "Hey, I've got a studio in London that I'm working for." You can uh, you can come down here and use it um, when there's no sessions in it. If you engineer the sessions, like record the people that are coming in and stuff. And he's like, "There's okay. a sofa bed in there too. If you want to crash there." I'm like, "Hmm, this sounds interesting." Perfect. So I head down from Newcastle to London, and um, I have this studio in in South London that I'm living out of. Eventually, it's yeah. a pull out sofa bed in there. It had a shower and a microwave. And <laughs> sounds like the, the lap of luxury, man. So, <laughs> so I'm slumming it out in there. I would record their sessions. They, and it wasn't anything I'd, crazy interesting. It would be like jazz musicians come in or, or voiceover guys or big bands, like s- s- stuff not related to the, the music industry, but music that needed recorded and things like mm-hmm. that, I guess. Um, and I would do that during the day. And then at night, once they left, I would make beats all night in that studio and, work on stuff and so you had the run of the place yeah basically yeah um and it was rough though because i was not making any money down there i was living off what i had saved up in newcastle 
and I'll, I'll what, <laughs> now, what were you doing? I mean, so how did you save money um, while so you were in Newcastle? Back to when I was working with all the local acts, I ran a thing called 20 squid a beat, uh, which was like 20 pound a beat. So someone would come to me and do a whole mixtape for like a few hundred pound, which was a lot of money to me back then. Yeah. Keep me going for a little while. And I, was, I did, I did 20 of these albums or something like with multiple okay. artists in the Northeast. Like anyone that was on the come up aspiring and things like that. I, I was just having them come by my studio in Newcastle and we'd make, uh, and do it. And so that was, beat. that's yeah. where your, your, uh, bankroll came from. Right. Savings and then, and then I'm in London living off that, and that is draining fast because I'm not. You're I'm, in London. <laughs> yeah, I'm in London. I don't have any connects down there or anything, and I'm just and I'm and I'm not really making beats like that anymore. I'm focusing on pop, mm-hmm. and I don't know anyone in the pop world. Nobody. Now, had you gotten any traction yet? Not really. Well, that okay. manager was interested in some of the pop stuff I had done, and that's why I ended up down there. But um, nothing was really working out. Um. So then back to these guys that would hustle your records um, out, mm-hmm. out in the real world via Twitter. Yeah. Uh, this one guy, he, 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 he had like, a, like 50 of my beats. He takes a meeting at, Atla- at Warner out here in L.A. with a guy, Aton. Shout out fucking Aton. <laughs> All right. Aton uh, from Warner? Aton yep. from Warner. Um. He the the guy goes into Aton's office. He plays him like these 50, 50 records or fifty beats or whatever. And Aton's like, man, I just took your best ten ones because they were fucking dope. And I uh, he was in the same building as Mike Karen. Mike Karen was above him, and Mike had just started APG and um, his publishing company and stuff. Um, he takes my ten best records up there, plays them to Mike, and they're like, wow, yeah, these are dope, I guess. And then the next day, when I'm in London on that freaking sofa bed. I get a Skype call from Ben Madahi, who was the president of APG at the time. And he's like, hey, we've heard some of your music. We really like what we've heard, yada, yada, yada. Um, I'm going to send you a Derulo acapella and a Flowrider acapella to do some production to. So I guess they were like tr- trying me out. Yeah. You know? So he sends over these acapellas and, and they've got like property of Atlantic Records tagged right the way through them yeah. uh, to make some production to them. Um, so the first thing I did was like, okay, I'm packing up all my shit here in London. I'm going back to Newcastle where I've got my, my, my studio. That's a comfortable space. I'm not going to have to engineer sessions during the day. I can just work 24 seven on, on, on this shit again. Now, now, so, so you just bounce, you know, you're bounce. like, okay. same day. <laughs> I knew, I knew who Mike Karen was and I knew a little about, a little bit about Ben. So I knew the, had the significance of that so, call. So basically you, know? you get this Skype call and you go, you yeah. know what? This is my window. This is, this Literally. is, if I nailed this, this is my big break. Cause at the time, once I had, like I said, I had started to study like Luke and all them. I was at the time I was a publishing company wise as a pop producer. I was either looking at, man, I really want to sign with Dr. Luke's prescription songs or Mike Karen's APG. And I even tweeted back then, this is prior to before even knowing Mike or him hearing my music. Wow, Mike's got the A team batters or some shit like that. And he retweeted it. Like that's how yeah. obsessed I was with these two companies. Like I'm like, they're the best at what they're doing right now. Like that's where I want to be. That's where I need to be. Yeah. If I want to make a number one record, I need to be a part of those teams. So when I got the call from APG from Ben, I knew that wow, this is serious. Like I really gotta fucking 
do this, you know? Yeah. So I went back up to Newcastle. I just start slumming it out on, on beats and a lot of back and forth with Ben and Mike, um, um, doing, making beats, uh, to these acapellas, um, basically putting me through trials, I guess, you know, yeah. seeing what I'm capable of and, and how receptive I am to feedback. And, how coachable you are. Yeah, basically. And I guess they seen something because they then offered me a deal in, in 2010, December, 2010, uh, uh, sorry, no, December, 2012. Sorry. Um, yeah. And then I signed that January, 2013 and then I was a part of APG. Okay. And that, so, that's when it really started. <laughs> yeah. So then what was the first big thing from APG that you did? So it was Timber with Pitbull and Kesha. But at the same time, there was a Flowrider record I did too called How I Feel. Mm-hmm. Um, that actually fruited first. So I was thinking, wow, this Flowrider cut's going to be the one. This is my big thing. Like it's happening. It's happening. Like, wow. But and then Timber happened so quick. Um, and came out, but I think it might have came out just before the Florida record and okay. turned around so quick. And that just shot up everywhere that it kind of like surprised me. I knew it was a great record and I was super stoked about it. But for whatever reason, in my mind, I was set on that. The Florida one's going to be the big one, you know, yeah. <laughs> which was so funny. But funny thing, I had one and two in the UK when that happened on one of the charts there. Because nice. I had Pitbull's uh, Timber there and the Florida How I Feel. Uh, up there too which is pretty funny man that um, is that. so how long from um so so you signed with apg and right. then that's january 2013 and then Tim- i signed january 2013 i'm yeah. doing a lot of back and forth and development with mike and ben over email on production and things like that like just a trove of knowledge and information those guys like honestly yeah. incredible um and then it comes around uh i think August, I think August, I flew out to LA. I meet everyone for the first time and they're, they're, they're giving me sessions and things like that. And some of uh, the writers, Breon and Priscilla had already wrote the hook to Timber before I had got there. They had wrote that to that beat. And um, when I got there, that's when they told me, oh, Pipple's interested in this record here. Um, he's going to try and get Rihanna to, to sing the chorus. Nice. Um, um, and uh, yeah, it's it, it, and this is the record and the playmate and things like that. I'm like, wow, this is fucking, this is crazy. This is cool. Like, shit, I'm gonna have Rihanna Pitbull song. This sounds insane, you know. <laughs> um, Versus twenty twenty pounds for a beat, right? Three years before. <laughs> um, long story short, Rihanna cuts the monster song instead. Yeah, the Eminem, the monster, and uh, mm-hmm. Pit tried to get Shakira and things like that. But he was on tour with Kesha at the time, so I guess that's how the the Kesha hook came about. And honestly, it couldn't have been anyone better. Like Kesha fit that perfect. Yeah. Like, like the vibe and everything wouldn't have worked. I don't feel like with anyone else, like it was just the perfect package of Pitt and Kesha like that. Yeah. Oh um, my God. Yeah. And that came out in October that year. And then it, 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 it picked it peaked in the charts in the ja- the following January. So like a year after my deal had signed, I had a number one record, which is oh. just fucking insane. That's a beautiful thing. Right. <laughs> oh man. Uh, so, and, and 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 the other crazy thing was that I got to work with Dr. Luke on that record too. So I kind of got the best of both worlds on my first record. I was, which was just insane. Yeah, the two APG and Prescription first record right. you did. You right. had both. That's wild. Really wild. 
All right, let's take a quick break so we can tell you about something very cool. A few weeks ago at Royalty Exchange, we launched a new tool called Know Your Worth. Know Your Worth is a free app for songwriters, producers, and artists that allows you to get an advance in 90 seconds on your back catalog. We have paid out more than $1 million in advances since we launched this tool. So if you want to check it out, go to worth.royaltyexchange.com. That's worth.royaltyexchange.com. It's completely free. You can find out how much you can get in advance in a minute and a half. So, t- so Timber peaks in January, right? Yes. And so you're a year into your pub deal. Mm-hmm. And I mean, how did your professional life change at that point? Because this is all happening pretty fast. Yeah. So we're now 2014. Um, and they, they've got me going back and forth, back and forth out here. Like I'm out here for a few months and then I'm back in England and then I'm out here again. Um, at one point I go back to England after like a month or two trip out here and I'm in England for a week and they call me up and they're like, Hey, uh, Nicky Minaj wants to work with you. So, uh, you need to fly right back out. <laughs> I'm like jet lagged. I'm only like five or six days back into the UK time zone. I'm like, well, I can't fucking say no, no, nope. like, fuck it. I'm yeah. going back to LA. <laughs> and I think it was on that trip where I realized, okay, I need to just move out here. Like I love my life here. Everything moves faster in LA. The whole team's here. I need to be in these sessions. The artists are here. Like, why am I going back to Newcastle? I've just had a number one record at radio. Um, I have all these potential records coming up. Like, what am I doing going back to Newcastle, sitting by myself in this garage? Yeah. Like, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was time. So I moved to LA in 2014. And, uh, really started intensively working with APG and doing the whole session circuit out here and stuff. Now, what advice would you give to a a writer that is, you know, you right at the beginning of after you got signed by APG or, or even as there's a publisher feeling around and, and giving them like, so what advice would you give somebody who's talking to a publisher who seems interested? I guess they got to see what value the publisher can bring. Like, I would sign with APG in a heartbeat again because I personally believe they're the best in the industry. Like, they, there's not no one they can't plug you in with, and they they they're very active on the creative side too. They're not just like, yeah, that's a cool record, or no, don't like that. It's like we don't like this because, or you can make this better by doing. You know, mm. like they're it's a lot of creative feedback and stuff. Um, so just looking at what they're going to bring to you. Like, do you need that? Like uh, if you are already getting yourself in rooms with writers and things, do you need the publisher that's going to just be able to handle your calendar? You know, it's all about what are they going to bring to the table? Cause you can work together, you know, you, it's a collaboration. It's a, it's a co-pub, you know, you're working actively together. No one really works for one or the other. Um, but yeah, I, I would I would just speed date. You want to meet as many people as possible 
in your early in your early years of the career i guess you know i guess always i'm always meeting new people anyway but more so in the first year or two your speed date everyone you meet a new face and you're learning who you like to work with who's great um you know who's good at what and who should i pair with who you know a lot yeah. of that yeah you just got it it's an it's a, an industry built on relationships down to the to the very bottom from making the songs with your buddies and songwriters and producers all the way to the very top on who's landing the records with what artist. It's all relationship based, you know? So you just got to be very good at, at maintaining relationships too, I guess. Now, how do you, how do you do that? I don't know. I, I'm pretty fortunate that I, I, I seem to work in similar circles a lot. So I'm, I'm all, always around a lot of really incredibly talented people and, yeah, I'm just fortunate. I'm a part of the APG system, I guess. Mm. <laughs> and people want to work with me. <laughs> yeah, that's so, that's a pretty good deal. Yeah, but um, yeah, I guess you just you just gotta f- find who you work well with, you know. Yeah, makes sense. So then, so then, what happens next after after Timber? Oh man. A lot of stuff, I guess. Um, let me think what happened right after Timber. Fast and Furious 7. I start working on the soundtrack for Fast and Furious. Okay. Um, this is like the first time I'm ever dealing with a um, a movie studio. Yeah. And, uh, like something for a soundtrack. And Actually, that record there, so the one I did on Furious 7, right out, features five rappers on it. Which was yeah. really, so really interesting to put together. Yeah, I'm yeah. back at rap. <laughs> um, yeah. And uh, yeah, the, the, the movie studio and, and APG who were putting the, the thing together, I guess they were like, they were trying a lot of different people over the record, like lots of artists cut parts and things like that. Mm. And whenever another artist cut something dope, they would be like, yeah, let's, so can we just add them into the song too? So I'm like, oh shit, we've now got to figure out an intro with somebody. There's a, there's a hook with somebody. There's a two, three verses from these other rappers and then an outro with another rapper. Like it was crazy <laughs> just trying to put that record together. You know, like it's very rare you have like five people all rapping on one record. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's crazy. And they were all for huge artists too it's kidding tiger wale yg rich homie kwan like it, it was everybody's pretty yeah it was pretty crazy and no. then it's in a freaking fast and furious movie the biggest franchise on the earth at the time you know doing a billion dollars like it was just insane really insane you know what surprised you about working on a on like a film soundtrack versus a just an, an album the visuals you know everything's synced to visual um i worked on the pardon me <clears throat> i worked on the, the 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 furious the the fate of the furious the basically fast and furious eight the movie that came after that yeah and um that one i was uh heading over to universal studios to actually see footage of the the song in like a a, a rough edit a rough cut of the movie and they'd be like okay when it cuts to this here we want it to feel even more energetic than it currently is and i'm like okay okay and like and during this scene here as it's as there there's this happening we need it to feel like it's building more and i'm like okay so i'm having to translate what these people at the movie studio are telling me to the music as well as trying to keep it as a great song and then dealing with the the label side atlantic and stuff and the art, respective artists like wanting it to sound an next um way as well you know yeah so a lot of juggling <laughs> yeah but now is that that much different 
though, from working on an album where you have an artist who wants a sound, maybe other producers, other writers? Yeah, because you're dealing with uh, the movie studio aren't as uh, musically inc- – they're great, but they're not artists or creators in that sense. So when they're telling you, we need it to feel more energetic, that's all you're getting. You know, that's it. Whereas, whereas an artist is going to say, oh, we need to put in some like drum fills here or, or some effects to make this happen. So basically, I just need to translate what they're telling me and, and think, OK, so this obviously doesn't feel energetic enough to them or this isn't sounding big enough to them. You know, taking whatever they're hearing and figuring out how I translate that into my terms as production to be like, OK, this is what they must be asking for. It's a little bit more guesswork, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I, or less, less clear instructions. Right. Means yeah. less yeah. more guesswork, right? And then you're also trying to have it look have it work well with the footage, you know, which is an extra added uh thing to look after. Yeah. Now on for the Furious Seven stuff, were mm-hmm. you um were you looking at the rough edits to do that one as well or was that uh, kind of separate? That one was more so um, a lot of back and forth over email. I wasn't actually going over to the studio on that one. Okay. Um, that one I was getting sent like wake up in the morning and they're sending over um a, 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 a tiger verse. I'm like, okay, I now got to add this to the song. And then the next day it's like, here's a Wale verse. Can you add this to it too? I'm like, <laughs> okay. And it just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know. <laughs> now, how um, did you um how did you get that uh project? So the oh the- APG. All APG, yeah, they they were. I guess Atlantic was doing the soundtrack for those movies. Okay. So uh, Atlantic and Warner is like a very close relationship with APG, obviously via Mike. Yeah, um, and so we were pretty much almost like in house on a lot of those projects where we're, we're like we've got the 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 know how from the very beginning. Okay, they're looking for these type of feelings, these type of beats. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? They want to make inspired by this song. Can we make something similar that has this kind of feeling? You know, they were actually referencing a lot of the um, Eminem Eight Mile soundtrack type stuff for for that. Oh, Furious interesting. Um, yeah, that well, makes yeah. sense. Yeah, so that's what channeled in that beat. I was like, okay, I'm just gonna make what I think is like a Eminem style beat from that Eight Mile soundtrack. You know? Yeah. Um, and it worked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, Crazy. My. Yeah. That's. Yeah. So, so I've got a question for you, sir. So, mm-hmm. you know, you've been, it probably doesn't feel like it, right? But you've been doing this, what, seven, seven years now, eight years well, now. Well, professionally, like six, seven years. Yeah. Like okay. Six, seven years is like, as making money. As yeah. being able to pay bills with it. Yes, exactly. Know? But over 10 years struggling at it i guess yeah no no exactly <laughs> like you, there's but now how do you um i because i think i think like before you start making money right you can maintain momentum because there's this hope and desire right to be successful right but one of the things that i think can be a big challenge not just for producers and songwriters but anyone in any creative profession is like once you have one, once you had timber, how do you keep the momentum going and not <laughs> Honestly, rest? This was my first record, like first major record going out there. So I had no no gauge stick. Like I had no idea what I had nothing to compare to. 
And I also, I, was, I knew the significance of a number one record and I was extremely euphoric. I'm like, holy shit, this is everything I've ever worked for was for this one moment. Like it happened, like, wow. But it wasn't until- And then what, right? <laughs> it wasn't until years later into the industry, like as my catalog got bigger, that I realized the significance of that, that I'm like, holy shit, wow. That that like if I was to have a number one record now, I think it would affect me totally differently than it did the first time. Do you know? Like yeah. if I was to have another timber type record where it goes number one in every country, it would affect me differently today, knowing how crazy that really is. Yeah, you <laughs> didn't I, know at the time. Right. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is just what you do. You come in and make smashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? So yeah, it would. I've 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 had like numerous top ten records since then, like especially in well mainly in Europe, um, but nothing to the like the magnitude of a Timber, you know. Not yet. That, not not yet. yet. Yeah, that that was a freak record, but uh, I'm sure I got another in the bag somewhere. I got to figure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what I mean, what advice would you give if you had to give yourself advice ten years ago? When you were really getting started doing this, what would you tell? What would you tell ten year younger sir? Well, I have survivorship bias, so I would say don't give up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, that's but, the first survivorship honestly, bias. Love it. Yeah, but on because honestly, it's fucking insane. The the how difficult it is. Like if I was to know really how rough of a path it was from the start, I don't know how many people would really myself include be like, okay, yeah, I'm going to stick this out because it's, it's really hard at times, really hard. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So would you say your naivete help? Yeah. You're kind of being naive to, and uh, like, you know, the saying ignorance is bliss Mm -hmm. is kind of true in them early stages because it is almost impossible almost is it's probably a bad word to use because it's not but the odds are really stacked against you you know so especially then the way the industry was 10 years ago and and then also where i was geographically in the north of england yeah and the type of music i'm making like it's just crazy to think that i managed to survive that yeah (laughs) the way i am now you know yeah well now i got i have a follow-up question for you on that so when um when things are difficult right and and um things aren't going that well like one of the things that you hear a lot is like okay well you just have to you have to focus on the fundamentals you have to go back to like the basics right yeah what would you say the basics for an aspiring producer songwriter beat maker are like what are the things that do it every day literally yeah literally that do it every day i was just making sure that okay i can i I can just make music i started to treat it like a job in like 2010 when i got that that first young book um cut and things like that i started to think okay this is actually attainable it's possible i've had a major cut to my song i have to treat this like a job then i need to be putting in uh in quotation nine to five hours i was doing way more than that but at nine in the morning i'd get up go in that studio and i'd not leave till like one in the morning and rinse and repeat you know that's all i was doing all day every day um just getting better at making the music and, and, and studying and figuring it out, you know, mixing and just learning the art form. Yeah. Now, do you work with any of the younger writers at APG now? 
Oh yeah, constantly. And I'm always going in with new writers um, who are even unpublished too. Like anyone and everyone. You don't know if someone's dope, they're dope. It doesn't even matter about accolades or what they've done. Like if they're great, they're great. And and good music will find a way. You know. Yeah. Now what what do you do, when when they ask you for advice? Like what uh do you find some common things that you tell everybody? Yeah. I go back to the whole you're going to be speed dating thing. Yeah. Um, figure out who you love to work with and who you get good results with. And then from there, you start to like narrow down your 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 circle a little bit whilst always still doing the, the letting new people in here and there, you know. But you've got to be able to work well with the people cause, and, and have fun. Otherwise, what's the point? You yeah. know, if it's not fun anymore – I don't want to do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm out. Yeah. So, yeah, just have fun and, and do it with people that are great and, and that you enjoy working with, you know. Man. Find those people. Yeah. You know? That's good advice. Yeah. Well, I think it makes sense to, to end there, man. Sir, sure. I really appreciate you taking the time to be on the big break today. And, um, man, I mean, I if, I had to, me. if, I, if I could sum up what I've learned from you, right – Number one is be prolific, work, Very. work all the time. Number two, don't be too precious with your work mm. and don't be a perfectionist and understand that it's going to take longer than you probably want. But if you keep at it and keep being prolific, something's going to hit. Yeah, I think so. You know, I think of it as you're rolling dice every day. Yep. The second you stop, you're no longer rolling them dice. So you got to just keep rolling them. At least you're rolling something. Yeah. You got to wait to land them, them two sixes, you know, yeah. and then it happens. So just keep building up the bag of dice. Keep yeah. Big up, build up a bag of dice. <laughs> so you've got more dice rolling for you every single day. You know, that's, that's a beautiful how I'm still living it right now. There you go. I love it. <laughs> All right, brother. Well, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, and thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, dude. All Thanks. Right. We'll talk soon. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Big Break. To learn more about John Chisholm, Nashville Christian songwriters, and his podcast, The Song Revolution, check out those links in the show notes. To get more of the stories behind Songwriters Big Breaks in your podcast feed, subscribe to us and look for a new episode every Tuesday morning. Join us next week as we host Jamie Sermstyle Sanderson, the hip-hop and pop producer behind Timber by Pitbull and Kesha, and many other worldwide hits. We'll hear how Jamie went from sleeping on a couch at a recording studio in London to rubbing shoulders with superstars in Los Angeles on The Big Break. See you then.